0: Yo, 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 what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the podcast called Getting to Know God. This is the place where we look to the scriptures and only the scriptures to know the one true living God of the Bible, letting Him speak for Himself in His Word through the Psalms. I'm Brandon, also known as Pastor B-Side, and today we're going to look at the attributes of God as the Lord describes them in Psalm 4. The title of our study today is called, Trusting in the Lord in Times of Trouble. But real quick, before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that if you've been digging on these studies or the things that I do and the ministry work that we're involved in, please hit the like button, the share button, and make sure that you're subscribed to this podcast. Sounds silly, but it really actually helps to make sure that this teaching can be more easily found for the folks who need it. We know that the more action and activity that social media sees for this kind of stuff, the more likely it is to recommend it to other people. And at the end of it all, it really helps us bring glory to the Lord. Amen? So enough of that. Let's check out these verses. In Psalm 4, the Bible says this, a Psalm of David. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. All right, so the Bible teaches that the people of God are supposed to trust in the Lord for all things at all times but what does it mean to trust in the Lord? See, a lot of people talk about trusting in the Lord, but then they try to help him in his work, right? Not really trusting him at all, as if our contributions are actually helpful to the Almighty God. Now, on the other hand, does that mean that trusting in the Lord requires us to just sit down and do nothing? You know, God didn't breathe life into us so that we can squander ability that he provides doing nothing. God desires his servants to be productive and fruitful in our service. So, then the age old question is how do we balance the faith we're supposed to exercise with our diligence to serve the Lord? Right? This question has been asked for who knows how long, but it's hard to answer. Where is the line where faith meets works? Right? How many of you have wondered that yourselves? Even for those of us who think we might know the answer, oftentimes our unbelief causes us to easily forget. So, this is a good reminder here in Psalm 4. In times of trouble, how much effort are we called to exercise in order to deal with the trial? While these might seem like really difficult questions, or this might be all old news to you, the Bible provides clear answers that are either going to be helpful to those of us who have been seeking to know these things for the first time, or they're going to be great reminders to those of us who know these things, but could use a good reminder, right? David's prayer in Psalm 4 shows the appropriate way to deal with times of trial in a faithful manner, coupled with our effort. As usual, the issue is properly dealt with when we have the proper attitude and the right focus in faith. This point is made pretty clear in the opening phrase of David's prayer. It says, Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. David began his prayer by asking God to hear his call, but then referred to God as the one who provides righteousness, and that's really important to make note of. David wanted to be heard by God, but recognized that God's own righteousness, which he freely gives by grace, would be the way that his prayers were actually heard. If not for the righteousness of God and the grace that he provides to reveal and share his righteousness, all of our cries to the Lord would not make it up to the heavens to reach his ears. The opening line of David's prayer shows that the foundational key to trusting in the Lord the right way is understanding our true nature compared to God's holy nature. David had the right attitude in his approach to God, relying on God's majesty, his own majesty, to be the way that his connection to God was actually made possible. David recognized that he had no righteousness of any kind Of himself, and if not for God, he would have been separated from God, with no one to cry out to in time of need that could actually provide the help he needed. By humbling himself, David exalted the person and character of God as Jehovah Sidkenu, which is the Hebrew name of God that means the Lord our righteousness. This principle shows that the key to trusting the Lord is by remembering who He is. When we remember the teachings of God's word, and the perfection of his revelation in the word, we should be humbled to consider our weaknesses, thereby recognizing that our efforts, our abilities, and contributions to God's purposes are of no value unless he is the motivator and manufacturer of those things. David didn't just remember who God was, but also remembered God's past revelations, past miracles, and responses when he had prayed in the past. David didn't just pray to God asking for help in his current circumstances at the expense of honoring the things that God had already done in the past. In fact, David's approach to God was with confidence because he remembered the past relief that God had provided to get him to this point in his life. David expressed that God had already provided relief in the past, proving himself as able, as faithful, and always gracious. When we approach him with this Quality of humility. And that's the issue. David's inquiry of God was in humility, but with confidence that God's mercy indeed endures forever. David didn't seek God while doubting that God might not be merciful to deliver him from hardships, right? And sometimes we can approach God that way. Like, God, I know you can do this, but I don't know, right? Does that sound familiar to any of you? I pray like that often, and that's not me boasting. That's, that's a weakness. That's a flaw, Right? This is why the scriptures are helpful to correct that approach to the Lord. David didn't seek God, doubting that he might not be merciful, because he remembers that God is always merciful. David remembered the past mercy he had received and trusted that God wasn't running short on mercy or ability just because time had passed from the last time they needed help. Again, David's prayer was based on his understanding of who God is. David knew that God is merciful and that his mercy endures forever because God is eternally self-existing and self-sustaining. Since God doesn't change, the relief that God provided in the past must still be available to those in need in the present and will continue to be so in the future. It was at that point that David spoke about this problem. Like the circumstances of Psalm 3, Psalm 4, shows that David's trials were because of people that opposed him, right? Seems to always be his issue. David's prayer was reflective of his concern for his enemies. He didn't immediately ask God to bring judgment down on his opposition, and that's that's a good thing. In fact, David didn't even immediately ask to be delivered from those people. Instead, David asked this question in Psalm 4, verse 2. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? There's some key words here to show David's concern and his faith. First, notice that David referred to his own glory. And here it's important to keep this phrase in the context of David's typical character and his other writings in scripture, right? David was a man after God's own heart that constantly exalted the name of God, attributing him as the cause of David's own success. And I mean, there's plenty of verses in the Bible that make that very clear about David's faith and David's character. So David's reference to his own glory is really a reference to the work that God had done in his life to make him glorious in the eyes of other people. Knowing this, David's questions promote the idea of concern, right? Seeing that his enemies are actually fighting against God and God's purposes for David, David had the wisdom to recognize the true focal point of that opposition, and it wasn't really David, it was actually God, and that's a bad place to be. To oppose David was actually to oppose God's purposes for David. God wanted to exalt the throne of David, so those who were trying to shame David were in opposition to God himself and the covenants that God had made concerning David. That's bad news. This is why David referred to the attitudes of his enemies as worthless and false. They're worthless in the sense that no one can fight against God and his purposes and actually win. There's never any progress in that rebellion and that fight. The people who try to do so only find destruction. And you can look at the scriptures or you could look at, I don't know, the full extent of human history to see that as true. The people who try to promote circumstances contrary to God's purposes are people who live in a lie. It's impossible to change the trajectory of God's plans and his purposes. And again, you could look at the history of Scripture and the course of human history to know that that's true. No one can know the mind of God, let alone change his mind. To oppose David in the way that David said was to oppose the righteousness of God that David cried out to. Not a good thing. So David's trust in the Lord is seen in the way that he spoke to God in prayer even though he spoke about opposition at this point in the scriptures, it wasn't with a sense of hopelessness. He wondered how long his enemies would contend with God and God's purposes, but he also referenced past relief that God had provided. David knew it was only a matter of time before God put an end to the foolishness according to his mercy. David was confident saying that the Lord set people apart for himself in order to be used as godly tools that fulfill God's righteous purposes. David knew that he was one of those guys. David knew that he was sanctified or set apart by the Almighty God, by the righteous hand of the one true living God, in order to be used as a tool to bring glory to God's name. David didn't have to fear his circumstances because, again, he remembered who God is. Think about how David referred to God in verse 3. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call out to him. So David referred to God as, essentially in the context, Jehovah Mekodeshim, which is God's Hebrew name that means the Lord who sanctifies. This title teaches that God has absolute control and authority and has selected certain people according to his perfect wisdom to be used in particular ways to exalt his name by the fulfillment of his eternally unconditional promises and covenants. God does not let his people that he uses as instruments of his righteousness to be taken from his hand. God will not allow his people to be removed from his hand or his purpose or the places that he puts them for his purpose. David knew that God would hear his prayers and cries because he was close to God based on the mercy and grace that God showed to separate David unto his own eternal purposes. If not for God's sanctification, David would have remained distant, and his prayers would not have been able to reach the only one that is actually able to deliver. All right, so in the next part, some translations of the Bible show that David said, be angry and do not sin. Verse 4 in the New King James Version of the Bible reads, be angry and do not sin, meditate with your heart on your bed and be still, Selah. So this translation can seem confusing to the point that David was really trying to make. David was not condoning anger in his prayer. And some people kind of take it out of context to mean that. The original Hebrew word that was translated angry in the English Bible is actually more frequently translated into the English word tremble. The word is used to describe like the movement of earthquakes and the movement from fear or other emotional outbursts. So anger could be one of those instances, but still the real issue deals with David's exhortation to himself to remain calm, and not let the appearance of his circumstances cause him to sin. In other words, it's a naturally human response to trials to respond with trembling or nervousness. But those who trust in the Lord shouldn't be governed by those emotions. Doesn't mean we won't have those emotions. We shouldn't be controlled by those emotions. We're supposed to be governed by the righteousness of God that has provided relief to us in the past and is continually able to provide mercy in the present up and through eternity. The Bible assumes that the people of God respond with emotion of various kinds because fear is a natural response for most people, even though it's outwardly manifested in different ways depending on the individual. But we're commanded to keep from letting fear control our thoughts and our actions so that we either doubt God or dismiss his promises in order to orchestrate more favorable circumstances on our own without considering God's intentions for us. That's what we're not supposed to do. So where David said, be angry and do not sin, he was saying, look, it's okay to be human and respond with fear, but don't sin by being governed by it at the expense of God's righteousness. Instead of being controlled by human emotion, David wrote that we're supposed to meditate in our hearts and be still. In the context of Psalm 4, meditation actually refers to communion. Remember, David was praying. He was talking to God. The Bible encourages us to do the same. Many people quickly jump into conversations with other people when they have difficulties, right? Looking for good advice and counsel from them. The Bible shows that David sought God's wisdom and comfort first, because God is the Lord our righteousness, and He is the Lord who sanctified us for special holy purposes according to His righteous standards and objectives. If he has graciously made himself available to us by separating us into his purposes, why wouldn't we take advantage of that connection that he has made possible, especially when we consider that he took the form of flesh to die in order to make this connection possible and fruitful, right? The privilege above all privileges, why wouldn't we take advantage of it? When David wrote that he would be still, It didn't mean that he would isolate and sit in his bed all day, waiting for God to do something to change his life by a miracle, right? The fact that God was letting David pray to him was already a miracle. David wanted to engage. When David said, be still, he was saying that he would be silent in astonishment, anticipating the mercy of God to produce circumstances that were fruitful to his position in God's work. David wasn't going to complain. He wasn't going to gossip while dealing with his trials. He wasn't going to backbite against people or God for that matter, right? He was going to talk to God, marveling at the reality that he could actually talk to God, the creator of all things, expressing thanks for the opportunity to receive his mercy instead of wrath, right? Because at the end of the day, while we all deal with difficulties a lot like David did as believers, as those who have been born again by the Holy Spirit of God because of faith in Jesus Christ... We don't have to go to hell, so that's a win, right? David was going to anticipate that the one true righteous God who sanctifies and delivers would do something pretty amazing to promote the fulfillment of his promises at some point in time, and that it's a privilege to be used by God in any facet that's helpful to that work as an instrument of God's righteousness. So waiting on the Lord and being still refers to this attitude of faith of anticipation, and of gratitude. It was for this reason that David wanted to offer sacrifices of righteousness. Again, verse 5 says, Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. Here David identifies what our works should be that prove our trust in the Lord during times of trials, right? We all want to know where does the line between faith and works separate? Here it is. Notice that David referred to his sacrifice as a sacrifice of Righteousness. Now, since he already declared that God was the cause of all righteousness, then God must also be the cause of our sacrifice, since God only receives righteous sacrifices. The word used to describe this sacrifice is the same word used to describe the offerings and sacrifices of the priests. The Apostle Paul. Later, use these exact same words and ideas to teach that God's people should be living sacrifices as our reasonable service to God in gratitude of our salvation. You see that in Romans chapter 12. This means that David was going to die to himself and adopt the role of a priest, which essentially means that he was going to be committed to serving the spiritual needs of others through intercession. David wasn't going to try and get himself out of his problems, he was going to be a servant. Connecting other people to the Lord and relying on the power of God's own righteousness to do so in spite of the issues he was going through himself. How about that? Instead of, you know, turning to himself and mourning over his own issues, he was going to die to himself in the temptation to do so, not being governed by his emotions in order to pour out spiritually into the needs of others while going through his own problems. That's the standard. So, verses 6 and 8 of Psalm 4 go on to say this, There are many who say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety." So even though David acknowledged that there are a lot of people who doubted God and frequently doubted God's faithfulness to David, right? We talked about that in Psalm 3. He wasn't fazed by it. He knew enough about God to know that those things were false. What other response is there but to serve the spiritual needs of others to encourage a healthy connection to a God that is so good to us, right? Why wouldn't we want other people to have the benefit of the connection that God gave to us? For this reason, David confessed that God had put gladness in his heart. Before God had done a single thing practically to change the circumstances of David's life, right? Things that David could actually see to remove him from his troubles, David was already filled with joy and gladness. Why? Because he knew who God was and what he's all about. He understood God's nature, he understood God's character and his integrity, and he understood the details of God's promises, and God's Word. And that there is critical. That is super key. This shows that the proper way to trust in the Lord, especially in times of trouble, is not just to say that we trust Him, but to actually engage in the service of the Lord towards others with joy that the Lord provides to do so, showing others the same quality of mercy that we anticipate receiving from God. David didn't lose sleep over his own issues. He plainly said that he would lie down in peace and go to sleep. Again, this is a consistent thing we're seeing from David as we read the same thing in Psalm 3. He was confident, not in himself or even in others, but in God, who alone is righteous. God had provided relief in the past in order to validate his mercy in the present, to show that he is indeed trustworthy to do what he says, using us as his instruments to serve the spiritual needs of others unto their salvation, either to see them be saved for the first time or to encourage their salvation through perseverance. So that's what the Bible teaches about the one we know as God. But look, before I get out of here, I just want to give you a quick reminder to please take a second and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. Make sure you share the link to this podcast on your social media and make sure you're letting people know about what we got going on here. We need all the people we can to know the truth about God, especially before he comes back, because the hope that he wants to give (laughs) for a limited time only. And we don't know how limited that time is. So don't keep the people you know from hearing the truth and hope that they may need today. And also keep in mind that all the Bible teaching I do here is 100 percent listener supported. This means that I depend on listeners like you to pay the bills for the tools that make this stuff available to you as well as pay for all the time and energy and resources it takes to study the word and prepare to this degree. So if this podcast is helpful to you and you value this sort of teaching and dig on like our presentation of things, even the background beat, please prayerfully consider sending a donation this way. We're a legit nonprofit legal 501c3 ministry operating through our parent name which is proper knowledge ministries feel free to check us out if you'd like to partner with the work of the gospel that we're doing you can visit www.pastorbside.com that's pastor and then b side like the flip side of a record all spelled out just normal as you would see it when you get there hit the support tab and give any amount that you're able as the lord leads every bit helps And if the Lord would lead you, maybe even consider partnering with us monthly, making your gift recurring, kind of like tithing to a church, because church is founded on the true teaching of the Bible, and that's exactly what we do here. Ministries like this need support just like any other, just like the ones where you got pews and pulpits and all the moving parts of a normal church service. We have less parts, but they still require operations, right? For all the false teaching being shared out there, let's partner together to make a strong effort to get more good teaching out there for the benefit of those in need. So thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this study. I hope you enjoyed our time together in the fellowship, at least digitally speaking, right? So until next time, peace out.